Hold on to your butts, as uh, one dearly departed engineer once said. Oh, too soon, Matt, too soon. Well, high on their success at the Myasaur Nest, and wildly overconfident, they're on the way to the Tyrannosaur Nest now. Oh, it's glorious! What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> you know, you must, you absolutely must. It's a culinary sensation. Even if you're not terribly hungry at the time, really, you absolutely must try human. Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Charlotte Royal's coverage of Jurassic Park The Lost World by Michael Crichton. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And hold on to your butts, as uh, one <laughs> dearly departed engineer once said, because things are about to get oh, real. Oh, too soon, Matt, too soon. I just, I'm just, i still sort of in mourning for what goes on in this section, vis-a-vis yeah. engineers. <laughs> oh. So why is it always the engineers, Matt? Why must they be the ones to get horribly pulled limb from limb? Well, we move this week from a chapter called Trailer, um, with Kelly sitting in a trailer, to, to a chapter <laughs> called The High Hide. You're, um, really, you're really leaning further into this, uh, this motif that we came up with last week, where... The, Jurassic Park The Lost World is hugely dull unless somebody's actually getting eaten by dinosaurs, isn't it? <laughs> well, if you do believe that, then you're in for a treat over the next few pages <laughs> as we read as far as the chapter called The High Hide, um, where I think it's Levine or Arby's looking through some night vision goggles. I think it's Arby. But anyway, that's for later. Of course, if you want to get in touch and send us the reviews through, we'll be doing those at the end of the next podcast. There are only two left on this. Um, so bam. just... Uh, yeah, send it through to sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can uh, you can get us on Twitter, at sharkliveroil. A little bit of action going on over there recently. Hang on. Is that a really oblique way of saying you've discovered who Carol, whatever her name is, is? Have we got a reply? I was about to Have say, we confirmed co- it? Conga Watch is entering its fourth week, and uh, no, <laughs> unfortunately, no response from Caroline Conga on Twitter. Uh, so we can't confirm that she that, that this random woman I'm messaging on Twitter is actually the person who is dedicated had had their Jurassic Park Lost World dedicated to. But we, we will keep um, we will keep an eye on that. Yep. But yeah, that's about time we got into the got into this week's this week's section. So trailer and Kelly's uh, sitting in the in the back of the trailer. But she's doing a bit of hero worshiping because uh, Sarah's arrived now and yeah. she's one of her sort of heroes. Yeah, um, it's quite funny. This like she's she's calling her Doctor Harding and then she sort of shouts in the shower. No, just just call me Sarah. And Kelly thinks like. Sarah Harding's a regular person, very informal and normal. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's just how people that is how people genuinely feel when like they encounter like a celebrity and realise that yeah. celebrities aren't a different species; they're just sort of people who yeah. happen to be famous. Yes, yeah, no, abs- absolutely. But I do love again. This is such a Michael Crichton thing that the celebrity in question is not like a sports star or somebody who's been on TV or film, but it's like <laughs> it's a, a like a world renowned field biologist and i just i want to put a step back from that a little bit and be like this is a book that contains not one but two apparently like headline grabbingly famous academic field researchers in the field of biology Uh, can you think off the top of your head of such a person 
the closest I can think is Brian Cox. <laughs> That's true, but Brian, but I, I sense Brian Cox wouldn't have nearly the cachet that he has if he hadn't also been in D-Ream playing synths 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Well, maybe, yeah. I, that sounds hugely dismissive of an academic career, but do you know what I mean? Like, a, like the thing that's taken him from being a great academic to being, you know, a significant public figure is, I think, the fact that he's got a little bit of that sort of media polish anyway, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, or I suppose... Like, I don't know, David Attenborough. He's not really. Yeah, but he's not. He's not a biologist, but, though, is he? He no. loves loves the animals, and I he suppose he biology. qualifies now. Yeah, but that's true. But he was like commissioning editor of BBC Two or whatever before he was like the the wildlife. I'm doing the wildlife. Actually, I will be yeah. doing the wildlife programs from now on, and that's why he has the sort of profile that he has. Not because yeah. he's like a PhD in biology or whatever. But this book's got two of the friggers. And I love that in, in Michael Crichton's brain, being a brilliant scientist is enough to make a teenage girl sort of a little bit weak at the knees when they, when they meet them. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And um, and uh, sort of Sarah's got some advice that when I, I remember when I first read this, taking on quite a, quite a bit of this. Uh, mm. One, um, use washing up liquid instead of soap. I've not actually done it, but... I thought, do you yeah, know what? Me too. Having read this as a teenager, I still have Sarah Harding in the back of my head whenever I can't find the right soap to like wash <laughs> my increasingly receding hair with. Um, I'm just like, oh, just any hand soap will do it. It's all the same stuff. Yeah. And I've no idea if that's reasonable or if that's just supposed to be her kind of being, you know, incredibly cool and loose and sort of just like, who gives a shit, man? Just whatever. Yeah. Just whatever. Um, <laughs> but I definitely, I have lived my life by that one as well. Speaking of just whatever, don't decide on a career too early. And that was, to be honest, when I was a teenager reading this, that gave me a little bit of comfort because a lot of people tell you when you're a teenager, oh, you've got to start thinking about you've what you're going to do. You've got to start. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, well, absolutely. no, I'm just going to wait till university and then decide then. And you can, yeah. you can do that if you're lucky enough to, to go to university, I suppose. Um, Very much, don't, yeah. Don't be ashamed of being clever if you're a girl. Less relevant to me, but also <laughs> thought, you know, don't be ashamed of being clever was good. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, that is... That's really applicable across the board, but I'll tell you, I uh, I, uh, I have a daughter now, which <laughs> obviously didn't have when I first read this book, and it, that that line became has become a damn sight more meaningful to me in this read through than it's ever been before. Because I'm like, yes, mm. can I please have teachers at every stage of my daughter's education who tell her that clearly and in so many words? Yeah, because you know, because it is, you know, it is really really fucking important yeah maybe, maybe the teachers that said you could keep this one to themselves for a while um and not tell it quite so early in her life but 95 percent of what grown-ups will tell you will be wrong maybe not <laughs> that just yet <laughs> that's i i don't necessarily have an objection to that and it definitely is a, a you know a huge trope of writing for a teen audience is to be like you guys have got it the, the adults they don't know anything <laughs> um <laughs> And I'm not saying that's wholly untrue, speaking as an adult, but I do think it sort of creates a slightly weird artificial division between being a child when you're full of energy and and your innocence is enough to get you through and you should trust your talent and so on, and being an adult where it's like, yeah, but what have you done recently? You know what I mean? There's a, there's a little bit of that advice which is is smacks to me ever so slightly of like a cool somebody trying a bit too hard to be a cool uncle. Um, rather than actually giving something kind of practical to uh, to a young person, but yeah, I don't know. I just think, what, yeah, what did you think of that? Would you, when you were a teenager, were you like, yeah, yeah, that's damn right, damn right, I know everything, yeah. Um, 
I, when I was a teenager, I found it both equal parts depressing and terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. So I've been listening to these people for the last 15 years and they're they're just full of shit. Right. Yeah. Got an alternative or? Yeah. Fantastic. And also, it's like, it's only, it's only vaguely helpful. It's like, yeah, well, 19 times out of 20, what I'm hearing is rubbish. But what if it's the one time that it's actually right? Yeah. True. True. Um, this this sort of life coaching session is ended prematurely, as um, the men cry out in alarm as they see someone's up to no good on the island, and uh, <laughs> they see on the monitors what Dodgson's up to, and it's like Sarah comes over and is like, "Oh, there's your friend Dodgson." He's like, "He's not my friend." <laughs> He's a, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Missed up. I think if these were British characters, there you definitely would have got an extra fucking in the middle of that sentence. He's not my <laughs> fucking friend. <laughs> There's your friend Dodgson who tried to kill me. Future, yeah, just ago. recently. <laughs> By the way, I feel like we should talk about that. <laughs> yeah, because she doesn't like. Because she, I mean, so obviously she's been thrown overboard. Clearly, he's not trustworthy and probably wasn't telling the truth. But she doesn't actually have a conversation with Malcolm. She doesn't ever really unpack the kind of... So we, are you mates with this knobhead or what? <laughs> she never right. actually says this. She just assumes... Oh, I assume he's the antagonist, so everything is perfectly clear from this point onwards. Yeah. he's. Um, they, they, they hop in the cars and say, we've got to stop them. Um, they've just seen him driving... Have they, have they actually seen him nicking an egg? Um, I think they've just seen him drive around at the moment. <laughs> and they're still like, holy shit, it's a, stop, drop everything. Never mind our once in a millennium opportunity to study extinct animals in their behavioural habitat. Fuck all of that. There is a petrol jeep over there and we must deal with the situation. <laughs> they're looking at it and like, Harding, Sarah Harding's going, there's that guy who tried to kill me. And Thorne's going, how do we find a way of sort of disrupting this on the island and Malcolm's going what kind of unsold damage are they going to do to the experiments we're doing and Eddie's looking at it thinking is that a Jeep Wrangler the most (laughs) 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 I read somewhere that it's the most desirable of all field vehicles (laughs) (laughs) so yeah anyway they're heading out Um, in the the meantime the boys from Biosyn they're on the way to the Tyrannosaurus. The boys uh, from Biosyn. That sounds a little bit like a cheesy fundraising calendar, doesn't it? The boys <laughs> of Biosyn, a selection of <laughs> vitamin D deficient research scientists who spend all their days in shuttered laboratories. And then, <laughs> and then Mr. December is Lewis Dodgson, who's holding a big sheaf of cease and desist letters and lawsuits that he's, he's bullied out of court. Shirtless, just flex, just saying. I I flex these, hey hey. Well, high on their success at the Myasaur Nest, and wildly overconfident, we're on the way to the Tyrannosaur Nest. Yeah! Oh, it's glorious! I what could possibly go wrong? And I do, and I want to I want to reiterate this from last week as well. I, I just sort of love the kind of bubbles in the blood exuberance that they've got going on from having successfully chased off what are essentially thirty five foot cows, um, <laughs> and they they just take this as emblematic of their their the likelihood of them being able to steal eggs 
from every single dinosaur they come across on the island, which is a little bit like finding hamsters easy to deal with and deciding that that means you're going to go and become a lion tamer. Like, <laughs> Lou, yeah. mate, it's not happening, is it? And when I'm looking, when I'm, when I'm thinking Jeep Wrangler now, I'm, I'm thinking more sort of collapsing clown car as this sort of... <laughs> that's amazing instead of because they've got this mad like loudspeaker arrangement that emits a really loud it's ear splitting piercing noise to like scare off the dinosaurs right i just imagine that instead of that they've just got an epic boom box but coming out of it (laughs) is the clown car music (laughs) 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 run away so they pull up nearby and um yeah this is probably going to be more of a challenge than the last one um king and basilton are, are both worried um, Basselton comes out with some interesting new facts about the Tyrannosaur um, to sort of make himself feel better. There's a bit just just shortly after this as they're approaching the nest where sort of Basselton's singing to himself, yeah, I felt good then, imparting knowledge to those who know less, but um, now I'm feeling a bit less comfortable as I'm on the way to the Tyrannosaur <laughs> nest. Um, I would have thought Basselton was his most comfortable working out how to manipulate major scientific journals into bolstering his own brand as the world's foremost research biologist. Yeah. Um, but but no, apparently he does still love to teach. He loves knowing more than other people, and there's nothing to make a character sympathetic like them knowing more than other mm. people. King's got a bad feeling about this one. And he's like... I don't King's know got a bad feeling about everything. King's got a bad feeling about when he's got to do his laces up in the morning, let's be real. Howard <laughs> King, not an impressive presence. <laughs> yeah, but the stuff that Basilton's saying um, is of some comfort. He's saying, you know, the apparently the Tyrannosaur, bre- the brain casing analysis has shown that it's got a visual acuity similar to a frog. So um, if, you, if sort of you stand still, it loses you. It can't see well. you. Yeah. And um, it's when King's worried, like, Dodge Dodge because you heard what George said, it's just a big frog, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that these two other guys, like, so George, obviously, Regis Professor, under which King we don't know, of, prof- of biology somewhere, something, 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 something. Uh, but both Dodgson and King are also, like, high-end phd researchers in biology as well but they, but in this particular exchange dodgson gives it the full sort of man on the street come on you big sap it's just a big frog you know like dials it right the way back um <laughs> i by the way like the idea that you could do research like that you could look at uh, an x-ray of a skull from an animal you've never seen in the world and all you've got is the bone and decide that you can, because of the shape of the skull, you can think that the shape of the brain is a certain way, and you can choose a particular animal to compare it to, and then in the field, you're going to build your own survival on that. <laughs> and I realise in saying that, I am dissing the first book and the first film, which are sacred texts, but still, I think this is a bit a, a bit much. I think that whole thing you're describing there is fair enough, up until the point that final bit, and you will sort of rely on this to save your life in the future. Because yeah. everything else makes sense when all you have is bones to like to work it to work out what's yeah, been but, going uh, on. <laughs> once once they're which, they're alive, yeah, yeah. Well, wouldn't wouldn't it be better though to say? I mean, it's the shape of a skull, 
and frogs also have skulls, but that's about as far as I can go in the conclusions I draw, and it might just as well be a guinea pig, you know, <laughs> or a shark. Yeah. Now, this next whole sort of sequence, the first time I read it, I was, like, shocked and thrilled, and it was brilliant. Second time I read it, I knew it was coming, but still it was, you know, just this brilliant action set piece. This time, um, largely because... Uh, for some reason, I remembered Dodgson's nickname as I was like reading through the chapter um, as, as the Undertaker, and <laughs> I had a whole sort of WWE theme going on in my head. As he, sort of, <laughs> you know, he switches on the black box. I just imagine like a bong, <laughs> and then, and, and then I, I could just like hear those wrestling commentators <laughs> saying, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." On. Just like you hear the bong. It's the Undertaker! <laughs> he like, steps out into yeah. the nest. What's he doing, King? <laughs> oh, sweet Lord in heaven, he's going for the eggs! <laughs> don't do it, don't do it! <laughs> Just imagine him walking in with a steel chair folded up, ready to, ready, ready to mess up some fools. Yeah, so the, <laughs> so this was a bit of a strange read for me this time. <laughs> because you know when an idea gets in your head and it won't leave? I um, do know that, yeah. So, so yeah, he steps out into the clearing, the Undertaker, but, uh, switches on his entry music, pulls out his, like his, his That's it, isn't it? Because he's holding a flipping speaker set. <laughs> now, thank you, all I can see is the weirdly straggly hair and the broad-brimmed hat as well. That's all I can see. All I can see. So... I mean, this kind of works. The like the, the actual the actual technique starts working again in the same way it did with the myosaurs. Like drives away the two tyrannosaurs, but they're not sort of <laughs> they're not going to take it lying down like the uh, the little cow dinosaurs did last time. Um, so King goes into the nest, sort of picks up a picks up an egg, nearly drops it, stands on a baby leg. Um, oh. I mean, this is like one of those like videos you see on YouTube compilations of like epic fails is just it field biological sporting flubs yeah. like, one oh no oh no he's dropped it oh no he's broken its leg oh no yeah so the one the one thing you you have to say that he does do is he manages to get an egg and get out but yeah he he seems to hurt one of the babies in the process and enrage the um the two tyrannosaurs that are standing nearby bellowing at Dodgson and his his big black box. And that me that Basselton takes one look at them and thinks they're not gonna like it doesn't matter what the hell's coming out of that box. Undertaking music, Aerosmith <laughs> <laughs> You have to say Aerosmith because now I all I can imagine is him just like just like shimmying into the place, giving it, walk this way! <laughs> That's yeah. all I can think of. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Stephen but... Tyler as Lewis Dodgson. Yeah, but yeah, like I say, it doesn't matter what's coming out. Undertaker theme, uh, Aerosmith, uh, big top music, whatever <laughs> it is, they're, they're coming over um, if anyone else goes into their nest. So Basselton just says, no, I'm, I'm not going in. 
<laughs> Dodgson's like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> tries to go in tries to go in himself, twists his body around as he's sort of climbing into the nest and <laughs> pulls out the battery card. <laughs> you'd think you'd have this better liquid, like connected in a more like substantial way, but it's not. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, you can almost hear it, can't you? Just just the scene with very small human, very big tyrannosaurs, and the circus music fading out like do 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 little run away <laughs> oh, but they don't they base as soon as it as soon as the the sound disappears and the tyrannosaurs start to approach they decide to stick all the chips on bustles and knowledge and both of them freeze and meanwhile arby's looking at the monitor screaming what are they doing <laughs> Which everybody else is at this point. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And Malcolm just sort of says sagely, they're misinformed. Uh... Now, putting those words in Malcolm's mouth at this moment is a little bit counterintuitive. It's brilliant because everybody remembers the just stay still, they can't see you if you don't move set piece from the first one. Mm. But you would have thought, wouldn't you, that Ian Malcolm, if he knew, if he knows this now would perhaps have mentioned this in the first book. Well, I was wondering, maybe he sort of, maybe he studied it after after what happened in the park. Maybe he takes more of an interest in it after coming face to face with it. But again, you'd think that when he, whatever new theories Malcolm's come across, um, he would put them secondary to what he saw with his own eyes. But I suppose he, he didn't see the, the Grant um, T-Rex standoff, did he? Because he was sort of lying in a heap bleeding at that point <laughs> yeah so he so. just doesn't the last thing he's heard is one of the world's leading paleontologists going yeah definitely can't see you if you don't move hmm. and like I, I as he really sort of dug into the reasons why everybody happened to die afterwards did you meet with did meet with grant to discuss their mutual non-disclosure agreements <laughs> and their mutual ability to be bought by massive startup cash and then go hmm. by the way did it work Oh shit! No, absolutely not. Did not work. Apparently did, but for some other reason. Hmm. Well, we have a discussion about that in a bit, but yeah, that the, the the key point here, as we move into the chapter called Dodgson, is did not work because um, Dodgson's standing there as these two tyrannosaurs approach, and the tyrannosaurs are like a little unsure, and he's thinking, "Are we invisible?" And then he, the second thought is, "Oh, can they just?" not quite believe their eyes that when we're not running away. <laughs> <laughs> They're just really confused. <laughs> Why are they not going? They're usually <laughs> running at this point. I like it when they start running. That's the best bit. Yeah. And um, one of the Tyrannosaurs gets right up in Basilton's grill and sniffs him. And this always stuck with me. As he sniffs him, he flutters, like his trouser legs flutter. And that's the, and then it sort of nudges him. And I, th- I, I, I that, that's the point where Dodgson realises, ah, uh, um, he can see us. <laughs> this isn't going to be, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> Game over, man. Game over. <laughs> yeah, so one of the Tyrannosaurs knocks Basilton to the floor and pins him down. Puzzleton shouts, you son of a bitch! <laughs> well, I'm not sure if that's directed at the Tyrannosaur or Dodgson for getting him into this mess. Yeah! <laughs> I often thought that. I thought that was kind of like a very, like, yeah, a weird response to being just about to be eaten. 
I'd be, I'm not sure yeah. I'd, I'd try and articulate that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're going to eat me, you better. Like, if I had that sort of breath in me, I'd be running. You'd just be screaming, I'd have thought. But anyway, the Tyrannosaur, like, bends down and, and very gently, like, rips his arm off and then uh, starts to feed. Um, as Dodgson thinks, right, get out of here. And he runs. It's all over. Yeah, yeah. So Dodgson makes a run for it. Um, so Kelly and Arby have to, the two kids have to watch this Basilton be torn apart. Um, and Arby sort of dashes to the toilet and throws up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Malcolm's going, I knew it! It's like, we all knew it, Ian, come on. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I like that, uh, that the kids turn the, turn the, like, the sound off and leave the spe- leave the screen on. You know, classic, absolutely classic misstep, you know. Kill, kill, kill them both. It's not going to help you anymore. To see, oh, no. I don't. I don't think they turned the screen. I don't think they turned the sound off. I think the like basically Basilton cuts out because he just dies. Because oh, she's, I thought because Ar- Arby says why? Yeah. Why did you turn the sound off? And she says, "Oh no, I haven't." Oh, that's even worse. No, Michael Crichton, thoroughly unpleasant imagination. So Dodgson sprints for the jeep. He uh, he, he jumps in. King's already there. Like packing his pants, um, he's, got, he's sitting there with the egg in his arms. King. <laughs> and suddenly, for some mad reason, all he can think about is omelets. <laughs> he says to as Dodson jumps in, he's like, "Where's Basilson?" And Dodson's like, "He didn't make it." He's like, "What do you mean? I mean, he didn't fucking make it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if that's like Dodson freaking out and showing a little bit of like something other than being a completely calculating bastard, or if that's just again his instinct to like try and ride the wave and end up on top of it and just be like, "No, we keep going. He didn't make it. What's the matter with you? Go!" <laughs> I love the the way he shouts at um, King like throughout this it is yeah. really funny. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Then King's sitting there with this massive egg as the dinosaur's chasing him. And he's going, maybe uh, maybe he just wants the egg back. And he starts winding down the window. And he's like, <laughs> maybe we should get rid of it. And Dodgson's like, don't you fucking dare. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say actually what this reminded me of, this like this comic interplay, is um, uh, it's Pinky and the Brain. <laughs> <laughs> what should we do tonight, Dodgson? Same thing we do every night, King. Try to steal the protected legal secrets regarding <laughs> genetic research of a, a demised competitor. <laughs> it made me think it felt a bit Malcolm Tuckerish from the thick of it to me. It felt a bit like, you know, King's terrified of this massive Tyrannosaur and Dodgson's just desperately trying to be more frightening than the dinosaur. <laughs> like, he's nothing on me, don't you dare. Yeah, that's it. He's trying to turn it up to 11. Actually, if one imagines Lou Dodgson with a Malcolm Tucker Scottish accent for the rest of this thing, I actually think that might be quite pleasing. <laughs> yeah. They, they're in massive trouble because the Tyrannosaurs end up blocking both sides of the road. <clears throat> one of the Tyrannosaurs cuts them off, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty and, uh, pretty good strategic coup for an animal with a brain case of a frog. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, they, as Dodgson tries to turn the jeep around... They sort of run it off the road backwards, and for some reason, Dodson just bails. He just leaps out of the car. <laughs> just, Fuck it! <laughs> yeah. I love the moment you are trying to run away in reverse. 
you know that you've done something wrong. Like, yeah, you, this is yeah. not going to work out well for you to be driving in reverse away from something that's trying to kill you. Yeah. Um, and in many ways, I think, like, up to this point, this sequence is a win for King because he's like, has Dodgson left me alone? Can I make my own decisions without being sworn out of the building by somebody with a really angry Scottish accent? <laughs> I'm going to get away from it for that. It's wonderful. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's on easy street as of now, prediction. <laughs> well... Easier Street. I wouldn't quite easy street. We'll find out what happens to King a bit later on. Um, decision is the next chapter. Um, Eddie arrives on his bike, on his little electric bike, saying, Hey guys, need a hand? It's like, Oh, Eddie, he's so helpful. Aww. He's so helpful, isn't he? He's, got, he's, he's my guy. Eddie, Eddie, mm. you're my boy. You're my boy, Eddie. They start to have a chat about this, you know, what just happened there with the Tyrannosaur. It's the Roxton theory, the visual acuity of a frog one. Levine clicks in and just with you know just wonderfully dismissive, just goes, "Roxton's an idiot." <laughs> it's like, that's that's how he <laughs> enters into the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and then Richard, you're supposed to say "over" when you finish something. <laughs> Sorry, Roxton's an idiot. Over just wouldn't have the same impact, would it? <laughs> no. But, um, he's ba- Levine's basically saying, "Yeah, it's impossible for the tyrannos something like a tyrannosaur to have." visual acuity like a frog because it needs to hunt prey and the first response of prey is often to freeze so it wouldn't really help if it couldn't yeah. see things when it yeah. stopped moving unless in the era of the dinosaurs you know the 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 instinct to freeze in the face of a predator had not yet developed as a common sort of response to threat mm. and because <laughs> that would be great wouldn't it if like if actually the reason that now all animals freeze when they're faced by a threat is that 250 million years ago, dinosaurs like that were going to eat you couldn't see you if you froze. <laughs> that would be a <laughs> yeah. fucking brilliant evolutionary thing. Lads, I've noticed that I've got an idea. Stick with me on this. Next time there's a T-Rex like right up in your face and you think you're about to get eaten, don't run away. Don't scream. Don't twitch. Just stand exactly still. You'll be fine. Mm, be absolutely yeah. fine. <laughs> there's, a, there's a nice touch here where it seems like Grant's been trying to sort of explain it himself after what he experienced with the Tyrannosaur yeah. not attacking yeah. him. And yeah. um, he put forward this theory of maybe the, the heavy rainstorm confusing it. But um, again, Levine says that's unlikely because of some of the environments, like the sort of wet environments that Tyrannosaurs would have lived in. Just doesn't believe that's possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although I still think that's that may well be the most plausible explanation because the one that they put forward and is sort of generally accepted in the book is the dinosaur just wasn't hungry. Yeah. Which which kind of, when you think back to the first book, works as far as um, Lex, who's, who sort of strangely survives, even though she's like, you just think she's dead and then she's not. And like, why on earth didn't the dinosaur eat yeah. her? It's never explained. Yeah. Yeah. So it does make sense when you put it in that context. But in the other, just the, as we described, hilarious chase down the river by the T-Rex. Immediately after it's eaten a hadrosaur, just because it just seems to be trolling the kids, suggests otherwise. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's possible, you know, T Rexes have not shown themselves to be terribly responsible citizens. Maybe are they? They they just are the trolls of the dinosaur world. You know, he was literally chasing the kids for the lols. Yeah, or like we said, he he heard from like juvenile tyrannosaur 
that people were just particularly tasty and it was just yeah. desperate, <laughs> like, desperate to try it. Desperate to, you really know you must, you absolutely must. It's a culinary <laughs> sensation. Even if you're not terribly hungry at the time, really, you absolutely must try human. <laughs> um, they say to Levine, right, we're going to head over to the Rex Nest now. And Levine, who we know isn't averse to risk, says that that's an extraordinarily bad idea. Um, <laughs> this is, yeah, yeah, let's just dwell on that line for a second. This is the guy who came with nothing but a backpack and a particularly strong local guide to an island full of animals he definitely didn't know enough about to predict their behaviour <laughs> and which could possibly have contained, and indeed did ultimately contain, many, many carnivorous dinosaurs. Mm. Um, and the guy who has chased T-Rexes on a bicycle and the guy who has chewed out the people who've spent thousands of dollars rushing the trip to reach him. And he's saying it's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it seems they're going to do it anyway. Malcolm seems to have caught... Of course they are. This. They're scientist protagonists in a Michael Crichton novel. <laughs> they don't make well, good yeah, decisions. They make foolish yeah, ones. Yeah, and... They all seem to have, like, nest obsessions. Grant's had it at the end of the first book. You know, Malcolm's caught it now. Levine, earlier on, was... Everyone loves a nest. They can't they can't stay away, Michael Crichton characters. So, <laughs> on they go. It's the chapter called Nest. Ma- Malcolm, even though he's keen to go, is, is really frightened. Um, you sort of buy the car, and Sarah's saying, look, if you're going to if you if you can't handle it in like in the nicest way in the world, if you can't handle it, don't come. I'm not, you know, I can do it on my own. Love it. Um, which is got. I, I quite. I, I do. I do like the Sarah Harding character in this in the book uh, more yeah. so than the film. Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I really love Julianne Moore as an actress, um, but I don't feel like she's given very much to do in the hmm. book in the film. Sorry, I mean the film like the. the We'll we'll come to this, but you don't have any real connection to any of the characters in the film because of the way the plot plays out. But um, the um, potentially controversial statement from this podcast, but I'll stand by that. Um, but uh, but yeah, I agree. In the book, she's an incredibly appealing um, uh, protagonist. You know, drives her own action and makes stuff happen. And it's great. Mm. So they head over to take a look at the nest. I'm not really sure why they're here. I think it's just to see what they did. Although they saw what they did in the um, on the cameras. So I was a little confused uh, in the same way as sort of let's go count the eggs storyline in the first book as to why they're over at the nest now, but they're here. Yeah. And Levine's saying, look, with offspring that young, parents won't be away for long. So uh, it adds a bit of the tension. They yeah. go, into the, go into the nest and the, the injured baby Tyrannosaur clamps its jaws around Eddie's boot. And Eddie's like, oh, oh, it's uh, got a broken leg. He's like, guys, what, what should I do? And Sarah just just goes, oh, you're going to have to kill it. And then they all just leave and just leave him <laughs> to it. This engineer, he's not like a, he's not some action hero. He's, he's yeah. the tech guy. And they're like, yeah. yeah, just shoot it and come back and we'll leave you to it. Well, um, I, I assume you, you won't have any problem doing this. <laughs> it seems extraordinarily mean for a it guy is. who's just keeps trying to help. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's also a little, kind of, I mean, I understand why Sarah Harding, who watches, like, you know, kills on, on the, uh, on the, 
the Velt, the grassland in um, in Africa, would be quite matter of fact about you know the fact of nature red in tooth and claw and the fact that this thing's going to die anyway. So why not? Mm. Um, but nobody seems to be too pissed that this is definitely at this point a completely undeniable. Um, uh, interference in their apparently perfect field experiment, making it all completely pointless, and so they might as well just go home. <laughs> you know, because like, cause at this point, if you've walked into a nest of a dinosaur and stamped one of its children to death, that is <laughs> definitely interfering in the experiment. <laughs> two ways about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's if, I mean, the the parallel would be running like chemistry experiments in a lab, and then just deciding to see what happens if you crumble up an Oreo into one of the test tubes, just to see what happens. Added fake chocolate and high fat cream to one of the uh, reactions. And, uh, yeah. We'll see what happens there. Well, guess what? Levine disagrees with you. So, in the chapter Grant Gambler's Ruin, he he dismisses. The uh, stolen egg and one dead baby as a minor matter, and says, "Of you know, course you he does, because he wants to stay there." Like <laughs> and he's like, "You know, you can't study something without changing it." As we know from his shoddy approach to research, he's throwing candy wrappers left, right, and centre, um, and, <laughs> yeah. and trying to speak to the parasols. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if I could walk with the parasols, talk with the parasols. <laughs> That's amazing. Doctor do far too much. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Malcolm says his bigger concern is with gambler's ruin. And this is a it's quite a philosophical theory, really. It's basically everything goes in streaks. And he says because we've had some bad news with uh, these guys arriving on the island, it means more bad news is to come. This felt a bit yeah. sort of woodwitchy for a scientist. Yeah, but, yeah I hmm. thought that. Well, I mean, it's interesting that... You know, presumably Michael Crichton did some research. And I think, if I remember correctly, there is, like, a whole massive um, bibliography at the end of one of the editions of this. So, like, he definitely wants us to feel like he's done the reading, you know. Um, But um, if this is a theory which is sort of, you know, know, an accepted way, you know, a phenomenon in the real world which is considered provable in scientific terms, even if it's in chaos theory terms, um, hmm. that does seem to me to rather undermine the entire process of, you know, the Enlightenment and rationalist thought. If all it gets us to is this idea of like, you know, things really do go to hell together, bad things come in threes, turn around hmm. three times and spit and the outcome will be different. You know what I mean? Like if it's just, <laughs> if, if we've got an ex post facto mathematical justification for being superstitious, all bets are off, aren't they? Hmm. Like that seems, that seems quite an interesting thing to just sort of skip past. And have everybody go, yeah, yeah, that's science. Science says that. Mm. Uh, we move on to King. He comes around in the car. He's like, oh, why did I drink? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many times I've got I've a head that. like an angry badger. <laughs> 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 he looks down below and he can see Dodgson just lying on the ground face down <laughs> after doing yeah. his impromptu sort of uh, extreme sports routine <laughs> in the last chapter. Yeah, that's it. So what's happened is they've driven and they've crashed through a verge and Dodgson opens the and just decides, right, fuck Pinky, the brain's out of here, and opens <laughs> up and has clearly done the actual wily Coyote unexpected plummet to his death, just opening the door, jumping out and going, shit! <laughs> I instantly regret this. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. So uh, King looks down there, looks at him. He doesn't appear to be moving, and thinks I could go and see if he's all right. And then thinks, oh, "Fuck that guy." Um, <laughs> I was going to say, and the entire audience is with King on this one. Cowardly it may be, but it is vindictive in the right direction. So fine. Yeah, yeah. He hears a buzzing as an electric car goes whizzing past on the road, and he's like, "Ah." There are other people, and this is a reminder that there are other people on the island. It gives him a bit of sort of comfort. And then he remembers the boat, mm. and his one thought now mm. is get on that boat. And I think, yeah, good call, King. Let's get out of here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Get out of Dodge. <laughs> Bad news is next. Um, Malcolm gets a, a radio call from Arby at the trailer. Um, it turns out Eddie, good, soft hearted Eddie, um, couldn't bring himself to put one in the head of a baby dinosaur oh. and he's he's brought the baby back oh, Eddie. to the trailer. <laughs> oh. Oh. It's as if he doesn't know that he's a character in a Michael Crichton novel at the end of the second act. <laughs> yeah, it's as if like he is just the tech guy and not an expert in, you know, survival and uh, the <laughs> dinosaur behaviour. I was going to say survival not- vis-a-vis dinosaur behaviour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe not the best guy to sort of leave to kill a baby tyrannosaur but anyway fifth configuration pops up at the edge of chaos unexpected outcomes occur the risk (gasps) to survival is severe hey hey now they've turned into game day players at this point haven't they these configurations (laughs) they're all about (laughs) foreshadowing in extremely clinical language Yeah, yeah. That that configuration is basically distilling gam- the, what Malcolm's saying in Gambler's Room, which is basically, you know, we're on the roller coaster and we've just gone. Over- basically, the the Rex Nest episode is us just going over the lip of the roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> that that is absolutely true. I love that. That uh, that the we are definitely in the oh shit phase of Put the roller coaster up. of this plot, right? Yeah, exactly like that. <laughs> Scream if you want to go faster, or if you don't. <laughs> Frankly, you'll be screaming either way. <laughs> um, Scream if you get eaten by a dinosaur. Next, next chapter, baby, baby, baby. It's called baby. <laughs> Does it? Is it baby in that sort of quasi Motown way? Though is it really that that where we are? Oh yeah, yeah. Because Eddie's saying I couldn't just leave him. We couldn't. I couldn't leave the little guy. Look at him. He's so cute. And so he's giving him a whole syringe of morphine. We're not really sure what a whole syringe is or how big it is. I'm not sure Eddie is either. Um, so he may have ended up killing it anyway. <laughs> that would be such a brilliant anticlimax, wouldn't it? That would be a comic coup of of, of rare proportions if the guy was just like, well, it's in pain, so I better put some morphine in it. Eddie, wait, we don't know the first thing about this thing. Sorry, too late. Is it dead? Oh, it's dead. It's it's gone. It's let it, yeah. I love his like classification as that as a measure, unit of measurement as well. She's like Harding's like five cc's, ten cc's, fifteen cc's. He's like um, whole syringe. <laughs> <laughs> I put in, and you ready? You ready to take notes on this? What I did was I put in the lot. <laughs> Any good? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's like it's like he's read a recipe and it said put in one and a half teaspoons and he's sort of just poured till it's felt about right. <laughs> so <laughs> probably going to do. Um, yeah. Now th- this trailer really does have everything, including sort of some kind of X-ray machine. Um, so they find the break in the dinosaur in the baby's leg. And Harding's basically saying, oh, this is a death sentence for the infant because it's not going to be able to stand properly. It's going to get picked off by a predator. So they try and work out how to how to sort of give it a cast that will remove itself. And it's, it's a classic thorny problem, Dave. Ah, oh, there it is. There mm. it is. And I love the conversation they have around as well. And I will admit, as a 14-year-old, this had me. <laughs> I was fast. I was like, wow. Look how smart yeah. they are solving problems with science. Again, they cannot overstate the extent to which I am a nerd. <laughs> yeah, it, I thought it was quite cool how they worked out how to sort of fix this problem. In the end, it's something to do with a split line, which if you're into your engineering, I'm, I'm, I assume you know what it is. Um, something to do with <laughs> aluminium. Something to do with bubblegum. Um, but in the end, it's this contraption that sort of handles stress vertically, so it will support the dinosaur trying to stand but is weak laterally so it'll break off when the dinosaur grows yeah although i mean they obviously know more about this than me but i would have thought <laughs> when like you put pressure on the leg it expands yeah a little bit your muscle yeah anyway. i mean it, th- this <laughs> whole pitch does sort of assume that the, the, the baby tyrannosaur's legs are perfectly cylindrical and that's that's fairly clearly not the case. So I'm not at all convinced that this that this would work. But as I say, when I was young, I was into it. <laughs> Levine still on the other end of the phone. I quite like how Levine's just sort of popping in. He's like the guy just standing in the corner, not really helping, but just like passing comment every now and then. And this time he's like, as soon as it's here, will you just text some blood for me? Because uh, that'd be quite useful. <laughs> and to, to be honest, he's, he's kind of right. He, he, there's this next bit as well, and he, he sort of gets gets Thorn on the phone line, that, like quietly, and says, "Look, bring the kids over here." Um, and Thorn's like, "Why?" He said, "Oh, just just do it. It's, it I, I think it's a it's probably not a good place for him to be at the moment." And you have to hand it to Levine, you know, shortcomings that he has in terms of personal relationships. He does know what he's talking about when it comes to this kind of stuff. <laughs> I, I, fair enough fair enough that's true that is true I cannot go toe to toe with him I've just put in brackets after he's done the phone call to get the kids out there you've got to admit he's good yeah 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 yeah. yeah. I mean I need somebody to admire here because previously been spending time with Lewis Dodge and Howard <laughs> King and Richard Levine none of whom are people who inspire confidence in the slightest you wouldn't choose any of them as babysitters would you uh, no um, so everyone leaves apart from Malcolm and Sarah. So we go to the high hide as the like kids come over to the to the high hide. A storm's coming, Dave. Uh, the, we but, hear that. but I'm sure that doesn't foreshadow anything in a Michael Crichton novel involving dinosaurs. <laughs> we hear from Levine that the helicopter's coming tomorrow to pick him up. So um, oh, all they need to do got... is just stay still, hunker down, be fine. Yeah. This 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 lends more sort of credence as well to Levine's <clears throat> incredulity when Malcolm keep and Thorn and Eddie keep saying, "Oh, let's just head back to the trailer." It's like we've got two days to watch these dinosaurs, <laughs> and all of, all you seem to want to do is sit in the trailer eating sandwiches. 
Okay. I mean, they do sound like pretty great sandwiches, but still, yeah. you know, it's probably not yeah. there. So um, <clears throat> they have a look out, and, you know, it's time to watch a few dinosaurs. Uh, we're going to watch the Triceratops Defense League as uh, they're all sort of standing together in a herd, the tri- uh, Triceratops, and mm. a raptor walks out um, fresh from their sort of, they're, they're sort of, one for one at the moment, aren't they? Oh no, one for two because they they, uh, they they had a d- disappointing outcome from the uh, what was it? The Apatosaur um, attack, which never really happened. They sort of called it off before it happened. So <clears throat> there's a there's a raptor, <laughs> and it, it it goes for a swim across the like river. And then all the Triceratops turn and face it. And the Triceratops are like, they're a bit like a, a shield wall um, or like a, a line of like pikemen and spearmen in an old medieval, <laughs> do you know what I mean? They're all like in a line protecting each other. Yeah, it, but if if a line of medieval or, or Roman pike spearmen with the shields and that were also five times the size of a rhinoceros, <laughs> possibly badass things. Yeah. I really got a sense of like I really felt like on the side of these triceratops though, because like they're all standing together in this like like defensive line. There's like the mother like turns around and like nuzzles the little baby, like, don't worry, it's gonna be alright. It felt very human as they're um preparing yeah. to, to face these like dangerous this dangerous raptor attack. The thing is, the single raptor's causing a diversion. He's sort of out there going, Come on, I'm gonna gonna attack you. You wankers. And, like, <laughs> and the Triceratops are like, oh, you son of a bitch, we're ready for you. And at the same yeah, time. It's like, oh, now that's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> Triceratops just turn around, they're like, oh, not today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of them's just putting out the cigarette. <sighs> Bad time. <laughs> <laughs> it is the it's about that time moment <laughs> it's about time for about that time in the lost world jurassic park <laughs> yes so yeah they're all facing this one velociraptor that's acting up like dancing around in front of them talking talking a big game at the same time all the others are moving out into the long grass to sort of attack from behind which obviously is bad news for tr- Triceratops or all the defences yeah. at the front. That's very, that's very true. They don't have what uh, Stegosauruses have with the big old spiky tail as well. No, game over. No. no. Levine um, <laughs> chucks another rapper into the wind just to check the direction it's blowing. He's like, ah, downwind, classic ambush. And he's like, oh, no. <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> This is superb foreshadowing, by the way. I just want to note this now. What happens later? Sorry, carry on. Yeah. And then um, lightning strikes, and one raptor like stands up in surprise. <laughs> <laughs> and in the middle of this beautiful, like you know, like era-defining predatorial efficiency, <laughs> lightning goes off, and there's always one that goes, "What the fuck was that?" <laughs> and all the triceratops see him and turn around and he's just standing there oh oh <laughs> see, he's just standing there dick in his hand uh um uh how uh oh gosh um can i interest you in buying any of these uh easy to use cleaning products 
And this um, this Raptors has definitely done this before. Like, it's been <laughs> a weak link. They're all the rest of like, oh, fucking hell, not again. <laughs> <laughs> For fuck's sake, Brian, every time, of course there's going to be lightning. It's a storm. It's a Michael Crichton novel, Brian. Get your fucking act together. I'm not I'm not having friggin' ramen noodles again this evening. I need to eat me a baby triceratops. You know I need one a day or I get headaches. Brian, I get headaches. And your fucking lightning intolerance is doing nothing for that. Nothing. Go on, fuck off and do the cleaning. We'll do this without you. You're gonna return back to the nest empty handed. Mrs. Raptor's like what happened, guys? Got the food? <laughs> Ask Brian again. Ask, ask fucking Brian, but don't do it while there's thunder about, or he'll freak out, stand up, and fucking he'll drop kick the cutlery, Mrs. Raptor. He's no impulse control, none. I can't work with him. Yeah. So Brian, the calamitous raptor, stands up, gets caught. <laughs> so all the triceratops then turn round. So all the rest of them. Like shoulders slumped, stand up, all the raptors. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. The whole thing. Like, come on, lads, fair and square. Come on, sportsman like behaviour. He's been yeah. got. We've all got to go back to the base. It's a massive yeah. game of capture the flag, isn't it? One person gets captured and everybody's like, oh, we've got to go. Oh, yeah. They head off. I assume someone kicks Brian as they walk in. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's no joke when you're a raptor. Like somebody, like if it was schoolboys, he'd get kicked. With a raptor, he gets eviscerated on the way home. It's like Brian, why have you got your guts hanging out? Lightning. <laughs> but um, as everyone's slinking off, the boss, uh, the one who was talking a good game, sort of isn't ready to give up just yet, and just sets off on this death or glory charge at the infant when all the rest of the triceratops' backs are turned. And it almost pays off. He almost gets him at the last minute. Triceratops like throws its head round and like catches the Velociraptor with a glancing blow, and um, the raptor sort of streaks off into the uh, into the night. And like Arby's just sort of breathlessly just goes, "Wow!" And I just agree completely with that. That was a really great sort of action sequence. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think there is, because there has been a lot of this sort of, and there's going to be a lot more really tense stuff to come. But I think it is actually a really smart move to have one teenage character voice what all, you know, what everybody's inner teenager is saying during during this scene. They're just going like, shit, that was badass. Mm -hmm. You know, like really that, that kind of strange enjoyment as well as everything else. Yeah, yeah. We're next to next up to with the herd. King is nearly home three. Oh, nearly home three. <laughs> nearly home, home three. Home three. Homes one and two have been lost. <laughs> he's thinking of a beer, maybe two beers, as he's, he's approaching the boat. A touch um, premature, I feel like maybe once you're on the boat on the sea, moving away from, or even then, you know, it's flipping not hugely kind of safe seas probably when you're at home start thinking about the about the beer maybe when you're holding the beer then start thinking about the beer otherwise (laughs) i'm afraid you are going to fall victim to the narrative irony fairy and nobody likes falling victim to the narrative irony fairy howard no (laughs) the man's got a dream dave don't take it (laughs) and that's the dream that the the two a beer possibly two is the dream So he's nearly at the boat. You can see it in the distance. There's a road straight down to the river. 
Only problem is there's all these Pachycephalosauruses, Friar Tucks, in the road. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> these are the ones with the big sort of bony skulls used for butting things. King flashes his lights, honks his horn, revs his engine. The Pachys do not give a solitary shit. <laughs> they just stay in there. <laughs> just, I do love that they're just like standing there, kind of. They're not attacking him as such. They're just no. like... I wonder what would happen if you were to try and do anything right now. It's like it's it's the um it's that episode of Spaced with the uh with this sort of group of extremely maligned teenagers. You know, they're just sort of standing there waiting for you to make the first move. Yeah. So they're not gonna move. So and, and you can see in the distance the people on the boat are getting ready to leave. So King's like, shit, we've gotta go, I've gotta go. He tries edging forward and he gets as far as like nudging one of the dinosaurs and they still don't move and in fact one like it, when he nudges it it turns around and butts the uh like <laughs> knocks out one of his headlights he's like oh crap like mm. punch the radiator um, yeah he tries plan yeah, b that would be terrible howard wouldn't it that really would be the worst of all imaginable outcomes of this scene <laughs> he tries plan b which is get out the car and walk through them and that is an extraordinarily bad idea because as soon as he gets out they just freak out and start charging him um, he ends up like leaping on the car as they like keep bashing into it, trying to butt him. And uh, he ends up having to run into the jungle. Um, tries to sort of pick his way around them, and immediately gets completely lost. This was like it was a bad move, <laughs> but but also like I I found this quite believable. Like he, he doesn't do anything particularly stupid. I don't think here. Um, it's just it's just sort of bad luck. Like. What did you think? Well, I mean, it certainly is bad luck, and not the first piece of bad luck Howard King has suffered in this novel. So, like, it, it's it's on trend for him. Um, but also, like, I don't know. These are animals you don't understand, which do seem to be fairly clearly quite well armored. I'm not sure my approach to them would have been um, would have been trying to slowly nudge my way through them. I don't know what my approach would have been, but I'm pretty sure that, like, if they aren't doing anything aggressive right now, but they appear to have a great capacity for aggression, I'm not 100% sure that I would have tried to switch up the tone of my interaction with them to see if it stay, see if I continue to get away with it. You know mm. what I mean? Like, that's, it seems a bit foolish. Then again, I have, on at least one occasion in the past... Walked into a field, a very large field, containing a small number of cows at the other end, about a mile away, and been chased by those cows. So it's possible <laughs> that I am talking out of a sense of profound trauma here. <laughs> calves, yeah. I should say. Let's get, if this is going out, this is going on the record, they were calves. They were very small cows, and they mobbed me. Like, legit, saw me coming and were like, oh, it's the food guy! I was not the food guy. I was the guy going for a walk in the countryside. But they thought I was the food guy. And so turned around and absolutely sprinted at me. And I pegged it. And I, so, so I, I, I don't, I'm not necessarily an impartial observer of what one should do in enclosed spaces with fast moving herbivores. Yeah. I had a similar experience with a friend actually. We were walking through a, um, a field full of cows and, we were like, but they were there were loads of them all very close to us, and we were walking through them. And he just turned to me and, and said, "Matt, Matt," I was like, "What?" He said, "If these guys wanted to now, they could end us." 
I didn't say it as a joke. It was like genuinely frightening. He was just like, this has just occurred to me. <laughs> I looked at him like, why are you saying that now? You can't do anything about it. Because now that's all I can think about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and apparently, apparently like one person a year gets trampled to death by cows. Really? <laughs> Fuck! Yeah. Now I'm going to have the same dumbass experience again the next time I'm in a field with cows. I'm going to be like, well, I could be the one person a year. A lot of <laughs> people, not guy. all of them walk through fields with cows. I've already selected myself into the category of people who are much more likely to get trampled by cows. <laughs> I, the, the worst bit of my experience was that it was a very, very big field, but there was a farmhouse at the one end of it. So I was in the enclosure with the farm, and this is big picture window, and I didn't look very closely, but I am positive that the, the farmer and his family were in there absolutely pissing themselves. Because you would, <laughs> wouldn't you? You know, even if there is a right of way across your field, which there was, by the way, I was on a legit path. Yeah. But nonetheless, somebody's walking across messing with your cattle insofar as being in the same place as them and making them believe they're about to get fed when no food is available. You would, you just stand there, hands on hips, watching them absolutely shite themselves, knowing, knowing that one person a year does get trampled to death by cows, <laughs> and maybe it's them. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. Back to the back to the dinosaurs. <laughs> the, um, we got we had a bit of a digression there, didn't we? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think this is us getting on board with Howard King's experience, man. This yeah, is yeah. this is, explains my approach. Yeah, sharing our own. Traumatic Arrow, experience, pain. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, whiskey. I I agree that all options he chooses here are bad options. It's just like you said earlier on. What else can he do? You're up against yeah. the clock. He's got to pick yeah. something to do, and I think yeah. he can. I don't know. I just quite liked how it was all very. It wasn't someone doing like stupid stuff here. I don't think it was someone forced into foolhardy moves because there's nothing else they can do. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, he gets lost. It ends badly there. Back in the high hide, Levine says that you're here as a precaution to the kids because um, they're discussing why they're here and they think it's because <laughs> Malcolm and Sarah want some quiet time together. Um, <laughs> I mean, if it really is that, and, and it's not, by the way, but that's not a hugely plausible thing to suggest, is it? Like, we, it's a really tense situation. There's a baby Tyrannosaur down there. We're really worried about it. We're so worried about it that we've put you in a tree for your own safety. The tree is the safe option here. Um, but I'm going to explain it to you by implying that they want to leave this wounded infant Tyrannosaur at one end of the, one end of the trailer and go and have mad, passionate, wild mathematician biologist sex down at the other end. <laughs> Yeah. The discussion's cut short as a man walks out into the clearing. It's King. Um I still looking at the map can't quite work out how he manages to get from sort of almost down to the boat to over in the clearing so quickly, but I'm gonna put that to one side. Well I mean but this is the same map that's that's decorated with pictures of a dinosaur who we're still not 100% sure has ever appeared in the narrative of this book, isn't it? <laughs> this is this is the map that led us to believe there'd be a Carnotaurus in this. And all I've got so far is unconfirmed sightings, Matt. So I'm not sure I would go along with the map, personally. I still, I, I do love your just stubborn refusal to believe that Carnotaurus <laughs> is in this book. <laughs> you know, I, whatever the whatever the the and the the opposite of a truther is, that's me. I'm not. There's no conspiracy going on here, Matt. <laughs> Carnotaurus <laughs> is a lie. <laughs> 
So, um, yeah, anyway, King walks out into this clearing, into the plane. He's looking down at the dinosaurs. It's quite, it's quite sort of sweet how he, he's almost as like childlike thinking here. Like he looks down to the like Triceratops down at the river and he, in his monologue goes, they're the horned ones. Triceratops. It's almost like he congratulates himself for remembering the name. Triceratops. 10 out of 10. Tick, little gold star. Moving on. And then he uses it again, like, a couple of lines later. He's like, he could fall the river, but he'd have to be careful of those triceratops. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the king of knowing the word triceratops. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The king... Uh, gets out a candy bar, like his good old namesake. Loves <laughs> loves a bit of the old, uh, loves a bit of the sugar. Starts chewing <laughs> on it, and then um, he hears splashing from the river, and suddenly a hiss, and suddenly uh. the can the candy bar doesn't taste very good anymore. Do <laughs> we sort of switch view back up to the high hide, and Arby once oh. again is watching someone in grave danger doing something. That he just can't work out, you know, incredibly stupid. He's like, why is he not running? Why is he just standing there? Yeah. And um, because they can see the, the sort of the raptors moving through the long grass. Yeah. And um, it's not looking good for King. I will say this is this is one section, one sequence, which um, was heightened for me because of the film. The film definitely mm-hmm. has its flaws, but it does have a sequence of raptor tails moving through long grass and you can only see where the raptors are because their tails poking out of the grass and that was fucking atmospheric mm. and it really helped me to like populate this bit of this sequence and be like oh no Howard yeah. one yeah. person every year is killed by rampaging raptors and this year it's you <laughs> <laughs> yeah so King is like the, the latest version the latest contestant in whatever game Ellie, Ellie was playing in the first book, he's got to run for his life, chased by raptors. Hopefully, climb something. Yeah. He, so he he makes a run for the for the tree for the tree line. Um, yeah. <clears throat> he can see one closing in on one side. He sort of dodges one, and then he sees one trying to cut him off. And he thinks, looks at the distance, thinks he's not going to make it, and yeah. thinks he's got to try. And he sort yeah. of goes all out. And he just at the last minute gets struck from behind, oh. uh, feels the claws in his back, and um, goes all still. And then he's almost like feels a bit sort of almost at peace, almost like Hammond yeah. style in the first book, as he yeah. hears the bones of his neck cracking. And it, I, I thought that this was this is really affecting because yeah, this is one of those sequences where in almost every book, like the character running away gets away. And like, yeah, like they, they, they're not going to make it. They're not going to make it. And just at the last minute, they make it. But this yeah. is what happens when they don't. And I just, I thought yeah. there's just something particularly horrific about that moment where, like, you're on the ground with the thing on top of you, and you know it's finished, but you yeah. still, but you're still alive. there. You're still yeah. alive. Yeah. No, I thought this was really well written as well. Although it didn't quite have the same impact on me in terms of usually people get away because Howard King is a secondary and rather despicable antagonist. So like when, when he might be about to die, he's probably about to die. You know, he's not the, he's not the antagonist who stays alive one more time through, uh, you know, just to, just to give you a little flip reverse it. No, he's the guy that definitely dies when it seems like he's going to die. But, um, but no, I really agree that this account is touches on the horrific and is very effective for that. Um, yeah, really, really affecting. So the king is dead. 
That is it. <laughs> Lo- long live the Raptors. <laughs> um, once again, the the kill site is a complete free for all as the, uh, the Raptors <laughs> start eating him. Um, one one gets his head in its jaws and gives it a good shake because um, it's such a bastard. Uh, one of the Raptors um, picks up. This is almost like a cartoon. Picks up um, King's candy bar, his chocolate bar, and holds it carefully in its claws, and then like as a bite, and the expression on its face <laughs> it appears to be enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> now I, I am as alongside uh, you know anybody else the idea of a dinosaur carefully unwrapping a, uh, a, a, a chocolate bar and enjoying it. That's comedy, and I'll hear nothing else from anybody. But but how do you know that a raptor's enjoying something? What's going on on this raptor's... Is it smiling? Does it does it have a kind of wistful look in its eyes, though it's having a, a Proustian recollection of a candy bar it had eaten earlier in its little raptor life? How do you know what raptor emotion looks like on raptor faces? Is he drumming his tiny little claws together with happiness like Montgomery uh, Montgomery Burns. What what is this? <laughs> is it licking its lips? Yeah. <laughs> and and if it is, might it be licking its lips because of the capacious quantities of human blood that are to be found on them? <laughs> it felt almost like an advert for a chocolate bar this. Yeah. <laughs> is this is this mm. raptors enjoy O Henry bars <laughs> for the discerning raptor? For the discerning raptor. <laughs> Brilliant. There's that barbarian over there shaking the human head in its jaws. But this is an altogether better class of raptor. I mean, <laughs> this this mat is not any raptor. <laughs> I reckon it's Brian. <laughs> Brian's like, fuck the lot here. Hey, didn't need him. Got a chocolate bar. Mm? Mm? Do you want some? Can't have any. You know why? Lightning storm makes me nervous. <laughs> it's definitely Brian because they're not letting him near. They're not letting him near that kill. You stay the fuck. Do you know what, Brian? Do you know what? I brought my handbag with me. Hold it for us, would you? <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> but I'm hungry. You, you're hungry. You picks up the chocolate bar. Eat this. <laughs> <laughs> Are you? Deal with that! <laughs> Prick! <laughs> Poor Brian. Anyway, uh, we cut over to Dodgson. Dodgson? I thought he was dead. He's not. Well, at least he's not yet. He's um, he's getting eaten by Cumpies. He's on the floor, yeah. feeling all sleepy. Feels something tugging at his fingers. He's like, oh, Mum, no, I don't want to go to school. And then he like wakes up, and it's, it's a Cumpy sort of like trying to pull a bit of skin bit of flesh out of his finger and he realises these things are all over him like chowing down and this is really horrific isn't it this, this, yeah. it, as much as we hate Dodgson surely no one deserves this well well, I, I think you're more merciful than I am I'm just like <laughs> is he going to die horribly good dying horribly is definitely his, his fate in this particular uh, narrative hmm. um, no I mean you're right obviously being eaten being eaten a nibble at a time is a really horrendous way to go, even if the dinosaurs are polite enough to have a mild anaesthetic in their saliva so you don't really notice it when they take the pancreas away. Um, <laughs> it's still a pretty horrifying way to get to, to go, especially since you don't know how long they're going to take over it. You know, who knows? Yeah. Maybe a flock of, of compies, you know, they get done. You know, they, they eat 
you know, let us say the bottom half of a shin, and then they don't need to eat again for a week, so they just leave you there. Come back in mm. a little while. Is he still there? Oh, lovely. Well, Save me an earlobe, you know. The thing is that is that's actually what happened with Nedry, isn't it? Like when they found his body in oh, the first yeah. one, like he, bloody he, hell, he, they'd eaten a shin, like or down oh. to a shin, and then like it sort of called it a day, and like came back a bit later. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, once Nedry. again, your your unparalleled knowledge of the Jurassic Park universe discovers layers of unpleasantly uh, unpleasant <laughs> inventiveness <laughs> in Michael Crichton. <laughs> <clears throat> bravo, yeah. bravo is what I'm saying. Dodgson's not going to go the same way as uh, as Hammond, though. He uh, he gets up and boots one of them. Uh, it lands like a cat, <clears throat> and then they all sort of follow him. And he's exhausted because of obviously the poison. He's struggling to stay on his feet, and it's looking like they just got. It's just a matter of time, and then he's going to finally fall over, and they'll they'll finish what they've started. But then he finds this shed. In the middle of nowhere, magic <laughs> extraordinary shed. stroke of luck, and like, <laughs> he goes in, shuts the door, sit like sits down, like starts to fall asleep as like the comfy is angrily like banging on the glass, like hey, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> what the hell, man? What the? I had this guy stashed. I was gonna go out. I was gonna have a great night. I was gonna come back. I was gonna eat the. Uh. <laughs> now I've got to go and get myself a kebab. <laughs> yeah. Yeah it's, yeah, it's back to Parasaur shit, <laughs> gutted. Um, yeah. <laughs> Next up is trailer. The uh, Malcolm and Sarah are working on the Tyrannosaur, the baby Tyrannosaur. They're talking about the raptors while they're doing this, and um, they're saying there are twelve on the island, um, and that's too many because you need to have like two hundred. Because friends. they're eating everybody. Oh <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> And you need in in most sort of like ecosystems, you need two hundred prey for every one predator, and there's yeah. nowhere near enough prey on the island. It's an interesting yeah. mystery. This it really is. Although it felt a bit like um, they. I mean, they talk about it in terms of the raptors, and the raptors themselves make the argument: you know, there's this many raptors and not this many other animals. So fine. Hmm. But given how often they they have to eat, and given that they're not the only predators on the island, like. It almost felt overpitched this problem because the, even the tyrannosaurs and the um, raptors aren't the only carnivorous dinosaurs on the island, right? So, so can it, well, <laughs> alleged carnotaurus. <laughs> can we be clear about that? Allegedly a carnotaurus. Um, but no, but like this many carnivores on the island, surely there'd be no dinosaurs left after a week. Like, no no time to develop, you know, systems and territory and behaviours and norms and anything worth studying. It'd be an all-in, up-to-your-elbows, dinosaur <laughs> buffet free-for-all. <laughs> Five days later, all you'd be able to do is turn up there and go, oh gosh, so that's what the skeletons look like when they haven't been fossilised. Wow, wow, <laughs> who knew? Anyway. Yeah, well, one of, one of the suggested reasons is the prey just grows extremely quickly like they've been given growth hormones which means they reach adulthood within a few weeks but um yeah still that might not as you say there are so many predators maybe that can't be the answer either but i'm interested and also no skeletons around hardly any skeletons about so yeah. so it is it is a fascinating mystery it's one of those ones i have no idea how they're going to solve this i, I don't even remember it's a do. science mystery man mm. Happily, we have five of the world's leading biologists on this single island in the middle of nowhere finding stuff out all at the same time. So it's going to be great. Going to be yeah, great. and also Malcolm says he's um, he's solved it. Um, 
it's, it's something he suspected from the beginning, and then he doesn't explain it. Is he just a bullshitter, Malcolm? Is he just keep saying he, he knows everything and never actually well, explaining it? I mean, that would explain why he and Levine get along so well, wouldn't it? Because they both do seem to be guys whose primary justification for the things they say is, I am the one who says it, and I am Mr. Science. See me command science with my scientist brain. <laughs> um, rather than, like, ever presenting evidence. And I think that is an easy thing to miss in all the science discussions, which is so much a central part of how this book is put together, that... Mm. They never really talk about evidence. They just kind of go, uh, anecdote, 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 demonstrated, moving along. And it's actually the worst mm. demonstration of scientific method you ever saw in your life. Nobody ever goes, can you reference that? They always just go, my God, he's right. <laughs> Not fantastic. <laughs> Uh, we head back to the high hide. Eddie wants to go back to the trailer, and uh, Levine and the Thorn are like, "No, no, just just a bit longer. We'll go back soon." Back in the trailer, uh, the, Malcolm's continuing his discussion. He's saying something's changed on the island because we've only recently seen these carcasses, carnotaurus carcasses being washed <laughs> up on the, on the mainland. Um, Unidentified, alleged. I'm becoming like the Costa Rican government now, aren't I? They're just aberrant <laughs> forms of existing dinosaurs that we've all seen. Not dinosaurs, of animals that we've seen before. Nothing to see here. No massive potential tourism coups. No, no, no. Nothing to see. <laughs> they, they they work out that they say they found out from the like notes in, that they came across in the lab that they fed the dinosaurs ground up sheep, and they they both seem to think this is a extraordinarily bad thing to do and i'm not really sure why but um they don't explain it just yet mm. um because the thoughts are cut off as the sensors go on something <laughs> something's moving outside <laughs> um, yeah. i'm sure i'm sure this is going to be fine well, i'm sure it's going to be fine well back in the high hide um the radio and say is everything okay and they say the sensors are on and the people there say, you know, it's probably just convection currents. The sensors are too high. <laughs> I love that so much. We're on an island full of unpredictable animals, but I'm definitely going to treat the first sensor warning we get as something that <laughs> demonstrates overly energetic convection currents. <laughs> yeah. Um, harder to explain it away when they start to hear, vi- like, feel vibrations as uh, the footsteps of something big approaches um, <laughs> and as we know in jurassic park that always means that the power's trying to come back on and nothing else is happening <laughs> yeah. um but yeah the tyrannosaurs have tracked the baby they're moving their heads and listening and uh, from the high hide they can see the tyrannosaurs move forward uh. um the the <clears throat> malcolm and sarah switch the lights off to try and like keep a low profile and it doesn't work it doesn't help it's trying to sort of move forward anyway uh, back in the trailer um, Malcolm is getting these flashbacks now and it's the smell that brings of the of the tyrannosaurs that sort of brings it all back to him as they start peering into the trailer and then start bashing it and uh, and Sarah's like shit we're gonna have to give them the baby back they just want the baby so yeah. he starts saying the soothing voice, I'm going to give you the baby back, don't worry. <laughs> Bang! <laughs> I've got it here for you. 
I'm sure you're completely audible, Dr. Harding. I'm sure that plan's working out perfect over the sound of these two animals crushing your your uh, metal vehicle like a tin can. Do you suppose it's now that Malcolm has decided that he might not have been wholly wise to accompany his mad friend Levine on a trip to an island full of dinosaurs again? <laughs> Is it yeah. now, or does that come later? Or has it come already, where he thinks maybe it wasn't <laughs> such a good idea? Yeah, I think if any time, it's got to be now. It's got to um, be now. In, in, in the film, Sarah and uh, uh, Malcolm and Vince Vaughn, for some reason, give... Um, <laughs> <laughs> the incredible disappearing Vince Vaughn. <laughs> they, like, take the baby outside and give it back to the Tyrannosaur through the door. Um Book Tyrannosaur doesn't have time for that shit. It just smashes <laughs> through the window at the back of the trailer and just picks it up in its jaws and storms off. It's like, yeah. fuck you guys, we're taking my baby back. Who like, precisely is the daddy, Matt? That guy. That guy is the daddy. He has proved beyond all doubt. Dadding is what he's doing. Yeah. They take the... the, the um, it's still knocked out, this baby, when they get it. And they lick it a few times outside and it sort of comes round and... Everyone in the trailer like breathes a sigh of relief as they sure. head away. As, as, <laughs> I'm sure this sequence contains no further interaction with those tyrannosaurs. <laughs> Wonderful. So the people in the high hide, they're cheering as ah, uh, they see the tyrannosaurs right. going away. Would you, if you were them, if you were in a hide, would you cheer or would you not just like silent fist pump, possibly? Maybe a better <laughs> way of doing it? <laughs> yeah. Um, Levine's not cheering he says uh, this isn't good I think we've made a serious error um, because from the tra- back in the trailer I like how we keep switching from the high high to the trailer here um, yeah. the tyrannosaurs take the baby as far as the tree line stick it in the tree make sure it's okay and then turn back to this big hulking <gasps> metal thing that appears to have just tried to eat its baby <laughs> and thinks <laughs> that son of a bitch is going down <laughs> <laughs> and the one thing you don't want to be if a tyrannosaur has decided that a particular son of a bitch is going down is to be inside the son of a bitch in question <laughs> yeah so the two tyrannosaurs tr- charge it charge at the uh the trailer smash into it all hell breaks loose um it gets flipped on its side on its roof um sarah gets this bloody uh big deep cut on her head there's this horrible moment where, like, Malcolm finds her. She's got this piece of glass sticking out of her head and he has to pull yeah. it out. It's a bit fucking Goosebumps times five, isn't it? Like, just the idea of... it's There's something cartoonish about it, isn't there? Goosebumps mm. is very mild. The Evil Dead or something. You know what I mean? Like, just somebody with a massive shard of glass pulling out of the head. And the first thing he does is go, get that out of there. As, as if nothing bad can happen opening a large wound on somebody's head. Oh, I'm sorry, is that your cerebral cortex? Shit. Well, never mind. <laughs> it reminds me of that bit in Family Guy with Stewie when he does it. He's like, ah, ah, do we leave it out or do we take it in? Do I pull it out or do we leave it in? <laughs> take it out. <laughs> yeah. So the, the Tyrannosaurs flip the thing over and then start pushing it over the cliff. Um, and it gets as far as one of the trailers goes over the cliff. Um, so it's sort of like just hanging there and Malcolm falls down sort of through it, effectively towards yeah. the driver's seat and like blacks out. Uh... From the high hide, there's the, they can see the Tyrannosaurs defending. Effectively, Levine's saying this is new territory now. 
the uh, Tyrannosaurs are just defending what they now consider as their territory. Um, they can see the first trailer dangling off and the Tyrannosaurs pushing the second trailer towards the edge of the cliff. And Thorne says, I'm going. Eddie, stay with the kids. <laughs> yeah, I love how he doesn't trust Levine to look after the kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, no, he means stay with the kids. Yeah, all three of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it's like they've got three adults in the high hide and there are two two situations to deal with. One, trailers being pushed over the edge of a cliff by two enormous tyrannosaurs. Two, some childcare. And Thorn has <laughs> such little faith in Levine that he feels that the two-man <laughs> job is the childcare. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I'm- can any of us say that we would have done any different in his position? I think I think that's the solid decision making from Thorn. Yeah, this whole thing where the trailer's being pushed over the cliff, I've always had a bit of a problem with this, both in the film and in the book. In that, oh, I then. find it really well. I find it really hard to believe that once you get as far as one of the trailers is over the edge, that it doesn't just go over really quickly. Surely, like yeah. once half of it and a little bit yeah. more than half of it is over, then within seconds the rest of it goes over. Like Once you hit a tipping point, it just goes over, doesn't it? Yeah, I would think that. Don't they say earlier on, though, I'm going to pull a mat here, but without anywhere near the level of authority or certainty that, that you're able to put into your uh, your <laughs> insights, don't they say that the, that the the one half of it is a lot bigger than the, the other half? Like oh, there's right. a sort of living bit and then there's a science bit and there's a, and the science bit also contains the kitchen and the driving bit but it's smaller um oh, yeah that would make a lot of sense yeah i think in the in the film it's like it, it, they're just the two trailers yeah. look at the same size aren't they but yeah, yeah. Like a lot of the weight is in the is in the front one or is in the back one yeah, yeah that makes that does make sense actually yeah, yeah totally. but, but even believe. then you'd need the back one to be because as you say once you've got a bit of momentum falling off a cliff, you drag everything with you no matter how heavy the thing behind you is hmm. so yeah. like Either they would be minuscule, either it would be like a toy Thomas the Tank Engine thing and like a massive 40-foot um, truck. Mm. Um, or the larger of the two trailer halves has like all the batteries in it. The back half of it is just like all these lead-acid batteries that weigh about a ton and a half each. <laughs> nah, yeah. Going nowhere. So you could basically have had, if it didn't have that flexible accordion between them, you could just have had the other trailer just sticking straight out into space doing mm. a, doing a uh, an Italian job. Hang on, lads, I've got a great idea. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, they're they're in it. The, the 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 first trail is dangling over. Sarah's sort of staring through the windscreen at the like valley five hundred feet below, thinking, "Oh God, what's going to happen?" It's real, isn't it? Um, she looks up, and Malcolm's sort of like bent double over a table, like a, a few like yards uh, over her. So she yeah. starts climbing to like basically climbing the kitchen towards him, which I thought was quite yeah. cool. Sort of, uh... It is, it's great, and again, something that's done really well in the film. It's really weird that the film took like a couple of action sequences from the book and did them basically verbatim and changed everything else. Mm, um, yeah. But they did choose really good sequences. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. So she's climbing her way up. Uh, Malcolm sort of just manages to say, I've got to get the power on. That's that's the key to survival here. So she climbs to the top of the trailer um, trying to find this power panel. Luckily, she finds one. Um she hits all the buttons <laughs> just to see what happens. <laughs> she, oh, she, she hits the um, 
<laughs> she hits the 10,000 volt um, <laughs> thing, which is great because finally it gets used. Chekhov's 10,000 yeah. volt. Chekhov's 10,000 volt. <laughs> Chekhov's, I hope we have a spare battery to run this thing off of. Yeah. Um, she switches it on and it just goes, there's just this explosion of like sparks. Um, and the, the dinosaurs, like the two Tyrannosaurs, like jump back, like, what the fuck? Uh, like, so. And then they just carry on. Just like, and then oh, they yeah. just carry on. But even if it hadn't have shorted out, like you can't run 10,000 volts over the edge of the thing like indefinitely, right? Mm. So that would always have happened. Once something's attacking you and you strike, like the point of electric fences is like a, a deterrence because it's always going to be there. You, you're always running power through it. And so anytime anything touches it, 10,000 volts, boom. All right, I'll stay away from that then. And it mm. creates an aversion to that thing. But... If you're moving around, then you're not a zone. You're an enemy. You're you're something that they're fighting with. So it just feels like they've just been bitten back by this strange reclining metal beast <laughs> that they pushed halfway down a cliff. Surely yeah. that's just going to make them redouble their efforts. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly what they are doing. Um, as Thorn is speeding to the rescue. Um, and speaking of shoddy design, here comes another one. He's in his electric car, going as fast as he can, thinking... <laughs> This is a bad idea because, as I didn't, I presumably didn't think when we were designing all this, it, it is quite wet on islands like this. And, um, <laughs> and we and we did choose to come in rainy season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and as he's thinking that, he goes through a puddle, through a puddle, and he, <laughs> and, and the, the car shorts out. It's like who's Amazing. thought to bring this thing? Yeah, to, as you say, I mean, yeah. at that point. Eddie ceases to be quite so much my hero and becomes a little bit more, really? Really? The, a puddle, was it? Really? That was going to be the thing? that You've designed this stuff with like all these little secret nooks and crannies of extra resources and you know all this stuff where you can do science on the run and you've got 10,000 volt batteries to ward off tyrannosaurs briefly, but, but you didn't think to insulate the electric motor. No. No. All right. Okay. Fine. Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so that shorts out, and he's sitting in the car, broken down. AA nowhere to be found on the island. <laughs> thinking, oh, crap. This is it. It's over. Can't do anything. Hang on a minute. There's some lights just through the clearing. What's that? Just through the trees. Could it be the most desirable of all field vehicles? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Dave. Honestly. <laughs> the Jeep Wrangler to the rescue. What what is this about, Matt? Honestly, did Michael Crichton run out of money from from creating ER and Jurassic Park and a long and successful career as a script and novel writer? Did he somehow blow all of that, spunk all that off, like at the flipping track, and then come back and decide <laughs> that he needed to get extra sponsorship from friggin' Jeep? Why the hell is this in this novel? <laughs> And if it is, why isn't it Land Rover? I reiterate. Mm? <laughs> so he jumps into the Jeep, the key still in the engine, classic, um, yeah. fires up the engine, that reliable Jeep Wrangler engine, and uh, off he goes to the to, to, to the rescue, bursts into the clearing, um, and the Tyrannosaurs immediately when he arrives go for the baby because they're worried about this new threat, and then they decide, it's not worth it. I'm gone. And they uh, they take the baby and leave, which is great news. But then there's a squeal as the trailer continues to slide off the cliff. So, yeah, the trailer's continuing to slide towards the edge of the cliff. 
So um, Thorn drives round a tree. Because um, luckily, the thing is, Dave, um, because the Jeep Wrangler is the most desirable of all field vehicles, it's got like a, like a, like a cable to save the day. So he uses that, <laughs> connects it to the, the trailer. Save the day cable. Quick, <laughs> quick, get me the save the day cable. It's in the back. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it so it, it does the job. It holds the it stops the trailer from sliding over the edge of the cliff. But the little accordion thing that connects the two trailers together is continuing to come apart. So they've got to get them out of there. Sorry. Uh, back to trailer. Malcolm's given up. He's like, oh, forget it. It's over. <laughs> He's, he does a the dad from that Goosebumps book. He's like, sorry, I got you into this. We're, we're finished. And Sarah refuses to quit. Hey, um, game day player Sarah Harding dragging yeah. these dragging these suckers along behind her in her wake. <laughs> they get the rope. Uh, they get out the they climb out of the like door, um, and as they open the driver's door at the bottom of the sort of swinging carriage, Thorn's there. He's climbed down. Like, hey, the undercarriage. <sighs> yeah, legend, legend. <laughs> <laughs> it is a legend, yeah. So now they've got to sort of climb up, like the three of them, like basically carrying Malcolm because he's got some sort of is it his leg that's damaged again? Yeah, he's broken it's always his leg. leg. Yeah, it's always, it's always leg, that man. bloody leg. Yeah, <laughs> glass man, he's broken his leg. Did, did you buy this? By the way, like they're climbing hand over hand on nylon rope, using as a grip, like the undercarriage of a car. <laughs> which he specifically says is covered in oil and water and is not made of non-slip material because why would you make it non-slip material? <laughs> yeah, I love how he thinks that. Like, why <laughs> didn't I put non-slip material under the car? And he's thinking, well, yeah, why would I? <laughs> yeah, why, why would I? Why would I? Um, engineering is about what you don't do as well as what you do do. Um, but um, do you buy this? If Malcolm's so checked out that he can't even really bring himself to to like roll off the table onto which he is slumped, even though it's digging in under his ribs and he's 20 foot above a massive drop. Um, like, are, are they climbing with one hand and, like, holding him on with the other? Is he got the strength to hang on for himself? Like, what's going on here? Yeah, I think he just he can just about hold on, but beyond that, yeah, they're, they're doing a lot of the work for him. It is extraordinary, mm. <laughs> some extraordinary physical strength to do this. Um, Sarah's climbing with the rope, yeah, with Malcolm. From the high hide, Arby's turned away. He can't watch anymore, it appears. Um, mm. So Cal- so everybody else is just looking looking over. Sarah gets to the top, throws the rope back down, and then Thorn starts to climb. And his climb was particularly tense because I felt a bit like you did with King here. Like, I wasn't sure Thorn's... Ca- when like Sarah <laughs> and Malcolm are climbing yeah. up, I'm thinking, well, Malcolm's not going to die here, I don't think. But when it's Thorn, I'm thinking his character shields aren't quite as high enough <laughs> to decide he's going to make it. Here. That's completely true, yes. Yeah. He sl- Thorn slips. He's slipping down. They're thinking, oh no, Thorny Problems is going gonna, is gonna, to end <laughs> here for him. And then Sarah grabs him by his hair. Luckily, he's got longish hair, I assume. And yeah. pulls him up. Yeah. And uh, he sort of lands on his back on the edge of the cliff face. And uh, everyone's safe. And Sarah just sort of sits there and she goes, hell of a night. 
this I is mean, her I finest do... hour, isn't it? Well, it's, it's one of them, actually, but I think yeah. she almost single-handedly makes up for the character of Lex in the first book. Um, <laughs> and how rubbish she was. Yeah, absolutely. And, and almost certainly she's in there for that reason. I mean, there's even one moment where Malcolm says, you're very strong, and Sarah goes, but still feminine. In a kind of, you could still make a film out of this, guys. You know, um, as if there was any doubt of that. Um, but it's just it's like really weird kind of signaling. But at the same time, you know, it was 1996 or whatever. So I'll, you know, give him a pass. <laughs> yeah. Phew. <laughs> what a cliffhanger. What an action scene. Hey! Exactly. What a ride. And, uh, and that is where we end this week's read through. There you go. For next week, we're going from here to the end of the book. Mm. And if you think that the worst is over, ho ho ho. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, I noticed that Dodgson is still alive and so are all of the raptors. Those are my two key data points taken into the last episode of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the best is yet to come. Although not for some of our characters. Um, but yeah, if you're reading along with us, you now have permission to read to the end of the book. Not like you need it. Almost everyone listening to this has read the whole thing, let's be honest. But anyway, yeah. now we're going to the end of the book. And this means next week is the week that we do our reviews as well. So send those in, sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks to those who have sent them in already. And we will be picking through both them and some of our... What we like to do is we, we get some from around the internet as well because they're always good value. And, uh, <laughs> and that'll be sort of how we round off the sort of the book and then I think we'll, we'll come back and do the film as well oh totally yeah um, yeah absolutely and, and, and then the, we will at some point do the other films but we'll, we'll make a decision about Later. whether we're, we're quite ready to do <laughs> Jurassic Park 3 made <laughs> 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 a break yeah <clears throat> Alan right well until until next week until next week man stay safe Roar!